Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. We have been in the midst of a worship series about tithing, which I hope has not been completely painful. And um, I actually had a clergy colleague email me this week and um, have noticed that we are doing this worship series and then decided to tell me that he had just preached about why he would never tithe or make his congregation tithe and that it's not in the Bible. Okay, all right. And I just wished him a happy day and know that you all know better. You all know better. In fact, we're going to look today not so much at the word tithing appearing in our scripture, but the heart behind it. I invite you to hear these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 through 15. The Apostle Paul writes this, But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to be, an, be empty in this case, that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have been made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgiving to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given to you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. I'm often left wondering how to describe an indescribable gift, right? This is an indescribable gift. Now sit here and describe it in a sermon. How do you do that? How do you describe something that is beyond encapsulation by words, right? It's a feeling. You know when you've been blessed. You can feel it. It's within you. And sometimes it's a very guttural feeling, right? It's visceral seems to be in our skin and in our muscles, and we know it down to the bones. Sometimes it's emotional. It is so in our hearts that we are just bursting with gratitude. 
And sometimes it's a mental endeavor. If I sit here and I think about all the wonderful things that I have going on in my life, wow, the realization that I am blessed. Depending on who we are and where we tend to go in our senses, we may feel multiples of these or we may tend to sit in just one area. But God is trying to tell us over and over in Scripture that by faith we will find a reward that is more than just a promise of an entry ticket. That by faith we discover that God is giving us bits and pieces of the kingdom now. That the kingdom is not a future reality, but instead was inaugurated when Christ came to us on Christmas Day. Bless you. And Christians have been building upon it from that very day. And so we are in this midst of it's not quite finished, but it's coming. And you can see that, yes, progress is being made. Progress is part of the work of the body of Christ today. And so what do we do when we start talking about our response to our faith? What does that look like? Well, I think very clearly it looks like the body of Christ reaching out to those who are suffering and mourning. I think it looks like us desiring to help people in their deepest, darkest moments. To be able to give to those who feel like everything has been stripped away. And to do it in a way that honors them with dignity. That respects who they are and what they have been through. And helps them look to the same future that we cling to in our darkest moments. This is what Christianity embodies. This is who we are called to step up into our role and fulfill. And on our scripture today, sometimes it takes a little prodding, right? Paul is writing to Corinth in a bit of a sermon, a little bit of a come-to-Jesus talk. And he says to them, I have sent the brothers, I have sent those that are in ministry with me, to you already. They've come a little early. I'm coming, but I'm bringing some people with me, and I don't want them to catch you unaware because at one point you made a promise, right? You made a promise that you were going to give to our church. And back then, churches weren't buildings or denominations. It was this connective community across the world that they then knew, right? It started in Jerusalem, and it was expanding through the Roman Empire. And they were connected, not only through the visitations of the apostles, like Paul, but through the missional work of each community. And so in Corinth, they had promised that they would take part in this. And Paul remembered and was going to hold them to their promise. And he didn't want them to be humiliated that he had come calling and was expecting them to do as they had said. And so he says to them, I don't want you to be humiliated. I want you to realize that why they came was so that you can be prepared because you have promised a bountiful gift. And God has made it possible. And we don't want this to seem like a tax or an apportionment. Instead, this should seem like something you want to do, something you desire to do. Because if it's not, then don't do it. God wants us to be cheerful in what we do or not to do it at all. Because otherwise, we profane with our attitudes what we do. 
So the point is this, he says, the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That if you're stingy with what you sow, you're not going to have acres and acres of fruit. But if you are bountiful in what you sow, then much will come forth. And you have to give as you make up your mind. You can't give with reticence. Don't give because you feel obliged to give. But instead give because this is what you want to do. Because your heart is in this. And God can provide you with everything. Everything. So when I first started meeting with the leadership of this church... They were telling me about a revolutionary sermon series that my predecessor Jim had preached to you. And it came right when he entered into ministry here two years ago and realized that there was a bit of a financial crisis. And so how many of you remember this sermon series? Do you remember? There is enough. There is enough, right? There's enough. And Jim was right and Jim was wrong. There is enough. He's absolutely right about that. There is enough. But he's also wrong. There is more than enough. Scripture tells us time and time again, not just in 2 Corinthians, that God is a God of abundance. Abundant mercy, abundant grace, abundant goodness. Mighty acts has our God done for us. God will do more than what we need. It is not just grace sufficient, it is grace abundant. We are a people that God has poured out multitudes of blessings upon. This is all for you, God says. I have done this all for you. And the question that is left in the silence that follows is, what are we doing all this for? What is our response and why? Why has God been so good? In a world filled with so much pain and suffering, why is God so good to us? And I believe that the continuation of that theology is that God is calling us to be good to others. That God is seeking to push us back out into the world and say, there is good, God is present, God is working and moving and here. And many people will not trust the voice calling from the heart of the Holy Spirit. They will not listen to the Father when it's resonating in their heads. They will not feel the presence of Jesus Christ, but they will look, see, and be with you. And so you become the way in which God smuggles God's self into the world. You are the vessels that God is filling up in worship to go back out into the world. And show people that goodness is not dead. That mercy and compassion are still vibrant and possible. And that all the grace in the universe is readily available. We are those people that bring that to the needy. That bring those that are poor in spirit. That drink water from the everlasting fountain of Christ. We take our faith and we embed it in everything we do, whether it is giving someone who is hungry something to eat, whether it is making sure that those who would be ill-equipped and naked otherwise 
are clothed, and appropriately so. That we care for those who are sick, those who are mourning, and those who are in prison. That we fulfill the implicit call of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew to let our faith manifest itself in tremendous acts of kindness and mercy. Our response should be abundant. Every week, our response should overflow with opportunities and the acceptance that we too have been called to this ministry. That all of us are in this together. If it was just one, we wouldn't accomplish very much, but there are so many. God has brought us together, and here we pool our resources, our time, our talents, our gifts, and our graces. And we can do so much more. I have a peace, and you have a peace, and together we are building something incredible. So when Paul says to them, God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, do they hear there is enough? Do they hear there is more enough? Or are they busy thinking, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have been so advantageous in what we told him. Maybe we should have told him that we would just pass the plate a second time and see what happens. Maybe we should have considered the fact that we're getting to the busy time of year and household expenses are rising. Maybe. Maybe. I think that's a very human response. But the response of faith is, yes, we said this because we feel it. We told you this because we believe in the depths of our being that God has blessed us and in abundance. And so we are going to turn around and bless others. Paul's churches all along the edge of the Roman Empire were sending gifts back to Jerusalem because the church was under attack there. The apostles had been kicked out of the synagogues and the temple, and they were flailing for their faith to find a foundation. And so it came in the form of missionaries. It came in the support of financial giving. But from the farthest reaches of Corinth and Ephesus and eventually Rome, Christians poured out what they had. And by sending it, they told the very same people who saw the death of their Savior, you are not alone. We are here and we are with you. And God is the link between us and we will give because God has blessed us so that in your time of need, you will have more than enough. And so they moved and they moved mountains. So they did what people thought was impossible. And Paul tells them that what you sow will be an indicator of what you receive. That if we are willing to be risky in what we do, that we will get it back multiplied. Christ tells us that we will bear fruit a hundredfold. A hundredfold for what we do. Now, lest we think that is only monetary, I tell you that some of the most impactful ways 
that we invest, that we sow seed, and that we plant the faith is through our relationships and the things that we commit to. And when we decide that I am committing this with my time and that I'm going to put my resources and my finances into it, that when all of those things come together, you can do things that no one found possible. You can do things that will transform lives for generations. And we wonder what it looks like. I can tell you what it looks like. It looks like Mike Buczynski saying, bit of a grill master, have some gifts when it comes to culinary arts. And I love doing it, and I love feeding people. Feed my lambs, says Jesus. And so he says, yes, I will feed your lambs. And so he thinks about it. How do I make this work? How do I make it into something that expresses my faith? Can you really express faith through smoked chicken? Yes. Yes, you can. And so he does. He works it out. He starts an event. And he says to me, I want to take the money that we raise and I want to give it to a charity. I'd love to give it to the church, but you know, people are a little wonky about that. It's fine. We'll figure it out. The church works very closely with Love, Inc. And so I immediately say, Love, Inc., let's do that. And so he agrees. And so it is that we pitch to you and we pitch to the community that there's this event going on at Pro Reynata. And I have no idea how many people came, but I know that he raised over $1,200. $1,200 for one night of feeding people food. It's incredible. I don't make $1,200 in a night. And he didn't just raise money for a mission. He raised some community. I'm looking out at a room and people that were there gathered with me and my family. People who mingled in with the community. Who came together to enjoy the company of one another and be a blessing. That is reaping a hundredfold. And the money raised will go into vital ministry here in Albemarle County and in Crozet. And people will be saying, how did this happen? And the response is, God is good. All the time. Right? That's how. Because God is good. Because God was in Mike Buczynski. And God was in those of you who went to support him, support your hunger, support Love, Inc., wherever you were there, God was in that. And there's more, right? We are given opportunities. We have things available to us, and we seek to bless other people, right? I have tremendous power and privilege by virtue of my job. And I am able to lift people up, right? So one of the things that I do is that I, I patronize, and sometimes it's just with my presence, but I patronize our farmer's market out here on Saturdays. And I go out and I meet our vendors and I talk to them and I meet the people that are coming in from the community and I talk to them. And I had the privilege of meeting an incredible family named the Malinowskis. And it helps that he lured me with scones. It helps. And so 
started this relationship with this family, and I realized how amazing they are, and I'm really convinced that Ken has a gift, that when he bakes, that I'm not just eating high-quality food, I'm tasting his kindness and his compassion and his love. And so I decide that there has to be some way that I can bless and be a blessing. There has to be some way that I can do it. If nobody can figure it out, I should be able to figure it out. And so I asked him, how would you like to make some scones for me? Yeah, how many do you need? I need nine dozen. Do you have nine dozen scones? And he did. Pumpkin, white chocolate, cherry, and savory. And they are yours. They are in the fellowship hall. And when our service is over, you are invited to go in and partake of how amazing the scones are from Bite. Because it is my desire to bless and be a blessing. And these are examples of how you can use what you have and what is before you to bless other people. You know, at some point in my life, God decided that this is what I was supposed to do. We've argued over that. Sometimes we still argue over it. And yet God seems to be winning. Go God. And, (laughs) well, it wouldn't have been so if when it came time for me to go to seminary, I didn't receive a full scholarship from the Methodist Student Fund. And it was only after my first year that they told me that it was an initiative scholarship, that when they looked at my application, they believed that I showed promise for ministry. Nothing like somebody telling you the bar is up here. And so the expectation was that I would go to school and I would complete my studies and that I would go out and be this great pastor. No pressure. I mean, it was only a $120,000 investment. But it meant something to me that people were expecting great things. And if you set that bar high, you know what people do? They will rise, literally. They will rise to meet that bar. And so what I do is born both out of my passion and my call for ministry, but also my deep gratitude. That I will go into hospital rooms that nobody wants to go to. And I will go to visit families who are experiencing a tragedy that everyone would rather say, it didn't happen. I will invite the homeless into my life and I will show them love. And it's not because I am so amazing, but it's because people invested in me. My church invested in me as a child and as a youth, and the church invested in me as a seminary student. And now it is my turn to say thank you. But I can't just write a card to the United Methodist Church, and that's not what the church wants. It wants me to use my faith and my gifts, and my graces to make it a better church. That is what God has done in you. God has blessed you and invested in you and wants you to take that and give back to the point that other people go, I don't know what is going on at Crozet United Methodist Church, but thank God. Thank God. And that's all we want. That is all he wants. 
but that the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Will what we do, will our faith enacted, enlivened and embodied, will it cause people to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much that in my time of need, when I couldn't even figure out for whom to mourn first, your church was there for me. And when the single mother loses her only transportation to her job to uphold her children, and the church meets that need, she will put her children to bed one night and get down on her knees at the side of her bed and say, thank you, God. Thank you that I can do this now because of what has been done for me. When we give to the church, we give with all that we have and all that we are so that people will be able to turn around and say, not one thing have you neglected for me, O Lord. Not one thing. You have given me a family of faith. You have given me a place to be in your presence and to encounter your grace day by day. And when my time of trial and my need came, your people responded. That is what it means to tithe. It means that we do something out of our radical gratitude, knowing that we are sowing the seeds of radical gratitude in others. And that on the day of resurrection, when our Lord comes back and all of our beloved are raised with us, the entire earth will shake with the sound of thank you, Lord. If we aren't willing to do that, then we won't. We should not give because someone told us in Sunday school one time we should. We should not give because our parents nudged us with our elbow, but instead because our heart said, God, how can I not? For all the needs in the world, God has, in miraculous ways, given us all the means that if we come together and every one of us gives what we have, we won't just meet the needs of this world. We will overflow them. May that be the future of our faith. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org to learn about ways you connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.